Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome to this video edition of the South Dakota Podcast and Blast. I will also have this as audio, but uh, Rocco and I figured we're such handsome guys that we would share our faces with the world, right, Rocco? That's correct, Chris. <laughs> so with me today, uh, Rocco Morano, who is our senior waterfowl biologist. Is that right, Rocco? That is right. And you're based out of where? Brookings. So uh, just share briefly with the folks, um, what does a senior waterfowl biologist do? So I guess some of my main duties are, is I work with the other states and the federal uh, Fish and Wildlife Service on regulations, including this experiment, which we're going to be talking about today. Um, I also work uh, with the Prairie Pothole Joint Venture on habitat issues. Uh, I sit on the Central Flyway Technical Committee. And then I also work a lot with uh, waterfowl, migratory bird banding, and then kind of as a liaison to anything that has to have, do with waterfowl or wetland research in South Dakota. Sure. How many ducks do you think you've banded in your career? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> probably, probably pushing 10,000. That's awesome. It's banding ducks and, and geese and, and doves is some of the coolest work um, that I've ever got to do, you know, um, and just seeing it and how it gets done is amazing. And, and, you know, I was thinking about, you know, even in, in South Dakota and, and across the, the country, you know, we, we, we call our mountain, we used to call our mountain lions and they call her some bears and big game predators. And, you know, obviously there's, there's some, some uh, bighorn sheep and stuff that are collared, but I mean, the amount of work that, that your crew and, and other states go about banding ducks. Why, how did that start? I mean, we're going to, I'm going off track already, but how did like the banding of ducks and geese, why did that start? How did it start? How long has it been going on? Yeah. So, you know, and, and believe it, it started back in Europe, actually, and they called it ringing, you know, ringing birds. Um, and it was basically done to see where birds go. I mean, that was kind of the, the, the first uh, iteration of this is you put a, you put a band on a bird and it shows up someplace else, you know, you know where it went. I mean, right. in the most simple terms, um, you know, nowadays we use we use banding for a whole host of things, including the same exact thing. Where does it go? Um, but we also do um, things like harvest rates. We do survival estimates. Um, you know, that you can do a derivation analysis to know where the birds that you're shooting come from, you know, right. based on where they're banded from. So that's why the, the operational banding of migratory birds is extremely important um, across a whole host of species. You know, for instance, morning doves, you know, the, the population estimate for morning doves is based entirely off of um, banding through a Lincoln estimator, um, which is an indirect population estimate. So um, a whole host of reasons why banding is really important and why it's uh, kind of a cornerstone of migratory bird management. And it, it really is like a, a, a human made trophy. You know, I mean, it, when you shoot a, a, a banded critter, you know, I, and I think I've shot two banded ducks in my entire life, you know, in one banded goose. I mean, when those come in out of the dog's mouth, you know, that's just like, that makes your trip, you know, and, it, and they have the idea that, well, it was just caught somewhere and it was banded and, and, and now, you know, you, you got it back and now the important thing starts, right? Now you got to call that band in and make sure, you know, figure out where it came from, but guys like you and Grova John and, and, you know, all the other wildlife bio, waterfall biologists, especially in this flyway, you know, they, they want to know where that came from and, and that fits into uh, some important stuff down the line. Yeah. I mean, it's a, they've all got a story, you know, it could, it could have been banded that same season or it could be 20 years old, you know, right. it's, and just imagine on some of those older birds, you know, how many miles they've clocked, you know, and right. how many decoys they've seen. And it, yeah, it's a neat, it's right. neat to think about it. One, one of my friends shot a, a little, 
a little honker up here on the bluffs one time and I was with him and the, the band was just, we had to literally get it under a piece of paper and put a, put a pencil, you know, and get the number. And it was up in the Yukon territory and that bird had been banded like 23 years prior. Yep. And then another one of my buddies shot three teal up by Sisseton one time and they were sequential numbers and they'd been banded like two months before. So yep. yeah, still cool, but, but everybody's got good banding stories. But the reason I've got Rocco here with us today is to talk about a new opportunity um, that is, is really super unique in, the, in not only the fact that it's available to waterfall hunters and all hunters in Nebraska and South Dakota, but it's a unique opportunity to maybe bring some new hunters in and it's this uh, three duck or two tiered licensing system. Rocco, I'm just gonna let you take it away and talk a little bit about it. And then we can just talk about how it can affect um, our hunters going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the, the two tiered license experiment uh, was basically thought up or, or uh, dreamed up to try to uh, recruit, retain and, and reactivate some duck hunters in the central flyway specifically. It's a flyway experiment. Um, the, uh, South Dakota and Nebraska are the kind of the two guinea pig states that are going to try it out and see how it works. Um, see if we can uh, encourage some folks to get to get out there and, and, and pursue ducks. Um, duck identification can be a significant barrier for folks. You know, it's intimidating if, if you've never duck hunted and, and want to try it, um, it. It can be it can be something that is insurmountable for some folks. And, and what this system does is it has two choices, two regulations or two duck um harvest packages basically that you choose at the beginning of your mm -hmm. uh, of your season when you register for HIP, which is what we call the migratory bird certification. And you choose either option one or option two. Option one is the traditional limit where it's six birds, all the, the species and sex restrictions that have really always been in place. Um, option two is a three bird bag where you can literally shoot any three birds, any three ducks of any sex or species. Um, and it's a so it's a reduced bag but it's but there's also a reduction in in complexity in a, of uh restrictions so um the, the hope is that if you remove that barrier you're gonna have folks that just try duck hunting uh for you know for the first time you're also gonna have folks who maybe are on the other spectrum where they're they're almost aging out of hunting and maybe this will buy folks a couple more years of being able to hunt where folks maybe their eyesight is leaving them and they and they aren't comfortable IDing ducks anymore um, it also opens up a huge opportunity for mentoring hunters if you're you or me or you know whoever's an experienced hunter um, wants to take a, a prospective duck hunter out, it's a little nerve wracking because you're taking somebody out that could potentially violate with you in the blind, and you and you're kind of you're kind of in a way responsible for them. So uh, this allows you to take somebody new with and say, "Hey, shoot three ducks. We'll go through them as the dog brings them in. You know, we'll we'll figure it out." And that goes the same for you. I know my daughter. Um, she's 12. Her first duck hunting was last year, and she was very nervous about shooting ducks, especially with her dad as a waterfall biologist. And, you know, and I told her, I said, you know, we're, we're going to, we'll be all right. But now she gets to go out and we're going to learn our ducks as the dog brings them in. And it's going to be super, super low key. And she's going to have a, a lot more confidence in the end. So um, it, it's just a really neat option that I think is going to help facilitate some folks duck hunting that maybe would never have done it. Right. And, and you and I have had this conversation um, growing up in Roberts County, like I did, I was a diehard duck hunter. My dad was a, a diver hunter. Um, we hunted divers all the time. And um, when I was a kid, um, you know, my, my first duck hunt was a brown duck hunt. You know, we were hunting teal that first opening weekend of the season and, and I got to shoot some ducks and, and to try to identify them then. 
Um, I remember even my dad scratching his head and he was a diehard waterfall hunter. And then, you know, trying to figure it out. And then, so we get a storm, the divers start showing up these, you know, these Northern cans and bluebills and redheads. And I remember like pulling up my first, you know, diver duck pass shooting experience and it was cold and I pulled up and I shot a duck and it came down and it was a canvas back. Yep. And while I was thrilled that it was a canvas back and my dad was totally thrilled, guess what? It was a hundred points and I was done. Yep. You know, where, where I, I was, you know, then you're looking at rafts and squadron of bluebills coming zinging by and those were 20 points at the time. And, and, and I remember being like, man, I wish I would have known, you know, I, I wish I would have held off. And, you know, similar experience, I took my daughter, she's 13, she was 12 last year, took her out on her first uh, duck hunting experience with a friend and, and his daughter and uh, set up on this, you know, this, this real shallow waterway. And it was a great day. It was a bluebird day and ducks came in and the girls were shooting and missing and shooting and missing. And a duck came winging by and Charlie shot it. And I went, dog brought it back and I looked at it and I'm like, oh, sweet, it's a gadwell and put it down. And my partner looked at it and he's like, yeah, sure. It's Gadwell and it's muddy and everything and kind of sitting there in a little bit of a lull. And I looked down and I was like, that's a hen pintail. And the more I looked at it and I said, how can, how can I, how can I have made that mistake? Well, I hadn't duck hunted in 10 years because I moved to pier and kind of stopped duck hunting. And we were looking at it. We're like, yeah, wow. You know, it's still early season. And it, we just kind of looked at it. And, and the more we thought about it, we were like, yeah, there's a lot of pintails around. That's a hen pintail. So now we got to be really careful, right? What we're doing. Um, and I told Charlie, you have to be really sure of what, what I tell you this bird is. And, and because she didn't know, I mean, she's yep. her, her closest experience is looking at greenheads on Capitol Lake. Yep. And, and for me, that was a, like a, a moment where I swallowed really hard because I didn't have a gun and I surely didn't want to have her shoot, you know, and, and unintentionally accidentally break a law because whether the game warden stopped by or not, She's ruined. She's she has no confidence, and she's just going to say, "I don't want to do it." Yep. Um, so I, I think, and I know you've been you've been working on this for quite some time with the flyway. I mean, when did this idea first come up? And, and just talk about some of the steps you had to go through because you're dealing with different flyways, and you're dealing with different state regulations, and you're dealing with the feds. So talk about that a little bit. So I've been a member of the Central Flyway Technical, Technical Committee for 11 years now, and it, it was brought, this idea was brought up at my first flyway meeting. Um, so the, who, who, who actually kind of brought up this specific experiment was Mark Vertiska, uh, who is my counterpart in Nebraska. Um, and, you know, he, he's been, he's been, was pushing this, you know, for the last 10 years for sure. <laughs> and and it just, it, it just makes sense. You know, like you said, that this experiment or this regulation package um, takes that worry away from that young lady. Um, I had the exact same conversation with a friend of mine two years ago who took his son out and his first duck, his first duck of the year was a hen pintail. Same thing, limits one. Do you go home <laughs> or, or, or do you continue to hunt? You know, and as far as the steps that it took, um, so first of all, you have to, you have to get, consensus in the flyway itself. And that's, that's the states up and down the central flyway, you know, from North Dakota down to Texas. And once you get consensus, you write a recommendation to the, to the Fish and Wildlife Service that first of all gets approved by the Central Flyway Council. Um, once it goes to the Fish and Wildlife Service, which is the SRC or the Service Regulations Committee, 
Um, basically, we go to the service, all the flyways meet with the service a couple times a year and kind of have a list of wants. Or, and, and we plead our case almost like a, a courtroom, you know, in front of these people. And, and the service regulations committee um, for many years uh, didn't really give us a hard no, but they didn't give us a yes. And they said they needed more information. So we did a series of, of surveys and human dimensions projects, um, both in South Dakota and throughout the flyway to basically prove that duck ID is a barrier to people. And we, we proved that pretty con conclusively that there was enough people um, that indicated that yes, duck ID is a barrier. And it wasn't just duck hunters. It, we, we surveyed people that were you know just small game hunters, just sure. fishermen and fisher and fisher ladies, and um, just deer hunters. You know, just big game hunters. Um, and as you went to different cohorts, there was kind of different levels of of duck ID being a barrier, but um, it's always there. And you know, the other part of this is you have to look at the different barriers that, that we have control over you know, as, as an agency sure. and, you know, what normally rises to the top are things like time, money, you know, other commitments, access, um, crowding that, that, that rises to the top. So the things that we have control over are access and regulations for the most part. Um, you know, other things that other kind of extraneous things that we have no control over, we really can't, um, focus on. So, you know, we, we obviously focus on access. We have a huge and and very active um, access program, both public lands and, and, and uh, leasing of private land. Um, and that's always gonna continue, but something that's, but as far as a scalable, you know, a scalable thing, that's a slow process. You, you're not gonna all of a sudden double your access, you know? Right. So when you're, when, you want, when you're looking at something that is scalable and pretty much affects everybody and is, you know, relatively inexpensive, regulations are right there. And if we can take that barrier away from people um, to participate by just taking away the, the identification in flight, um, that's a huge deal. And, and, and there's very few uh, R3 programs that you can um, touch everybody, you know, at the same time. You know, if, if you're doing like a duck hunting demonstration or a youth hunt or a, a, an adult duck hunt for folks that have never duck hunted, it's all very important and very awesome work, but you do it at 100 a time, you know, and, and um, this is something that can be done at a at a very high scalable level, and hopefully can reach a lot of people. Sure, um, you know, it, it's something that I deal with every day, and I know you deal with it a lot. Um, is just declining hunter numbers, and you know, South Dakota, Nebraska, you know, I think all the states are seeing some of this, some of this decline or seeing a decline in, in hunters that, that that's why this r3 movement recruitment retention reactivation is, is kind of at the forefront of a lot of things but i was looking at numbers and you and i started relatively about the same time with the department 12 15 years ago somewhere there I, it depends upon what day i can't ever remember how many years but uh when i came over from tourism there's 56,000 duck hunters in south dakota or waterfall hunters in south dakota now we're looking at 28,000, right duck hunting is hard it's hard work. It's, it's, you know, and to get to the point where you are a diehard waterfall hunter, there's a lot of hunts in between there. And, and not everybody had somebody like my dad or, you know, I know, you know, your dad and your men, you know, you had a group of mentors and, and group of guys that you hunted with. You're a diehard waterfall hunter. Yep. So to me, anything that we can do to, to make it easier for folks to get into it and still have relative success, you know, I, I think, 
I'm at a point in my life where success isn't necessarily a limit of anything, whether it's walleyes or honkers or, or bluegills, you know? Um, so for me, if, if we can do that and, and it, it doesn't affect the population um, biologically, which I'm sure you guys have studied that. I'm sure you had to have all your literal ducks in a row uh, to even take it to the service in the flyway. Um, anything we can do there has got to be a win. But let's talk about, I was surprised when this first came out and and I'm pretty active on social media and I, I do a lot of work on it every day and I'm creating messages and stuff. Um, I normally don't get involved with folks negatively because it's just too easy to go down that rabbit hole and I'm, I can kind of be a negative guy anyway. So I try to try to keep keep out of that. But I got into it with a few people that I'm actually friends with about ducks and making it too simple for folks. And duck ID is part of becoming a waterfowl hunter. And if you're just going to dumb it down for everybody, it's taking away the experience and ruining the tradition of duck hunting. How do we fight that? Or do we just put our heads down and go, you know what, for all these awesome, awesome victories that we're going to have with new folks, we're just going to have to deal with some of these. So I look at it as a paradigm shift. So we that that very mentality has has been driven home by folks like me for 70 years. You right. know that you had to know your ducks because regulations are designed to maximize harvest of different species and stocks. And the only way to do that is with relatively complex regulations where you have to know your ducks and you have to be able to have differential harvest of those different species and stocks. Sure. This basically says for, for, for the purposes of recruiting, retaining and reactivating hunters, this is more important than that. The, the, this, this basically goes, goes above and beyond the normal, um, the normal regulations that maximize duck harvest. We're not trying to maximize duck harvest here with, the, right. with these regulations. The one point that you did bring up about, you know, the biological effects is a, is a good one. We, we did. We had to prove that to the Fish and Wildlife Service that this was not going to have an undue impact on any specific stock or species. And we did that through the Federal Parts Collection Survey um, and looked at real bags that South Dakota hunters and Nebraska hunters had in the past. And, you, and through that, you can do a worst case scenario. And you can say, okay, for every hunter that in a year that there's a two bird bag for pintails, then you say they automatically are going to shoot three. And to get the three bag, not that that's probably ever going to happen, but you can get a frequency of bag with that. Sure. And we did that for Nebraska and South Dakota for uh, scop, pintail, canvas backs. And basically what we showed is that it was only going to be, a, you know, literally, and, and hen mallards, we did it for hen mallards too. And it was going to be a handful. I mean, less than a couple hundred birds per, per species um, per five. And that was per 500 hunters recruited. Um, so uh, it, that's not a population level of impact. That's negligible. Sure. And it's and for me, it's worth the cost of, re, of recruiting, retaining, reactivating some duck hunters. And one of the main driving forces as well with the Fish and Wildlife Service was um, the, the latest draft of the North American Waterfall Management Plan, or if you've ever heard of the NAWAL. Um, it, it actually recognized the human user as a co-equal uh, leg of the stool with habitat and populations in the management of waterfall, recognizing that if there's not people out there appreciating waterfall and wetlands, they're not going to be there. That's right. how the North American model of, of wildlife management works. 
And if there's not folks out there that are fighting for the, the resource and, and using the resource and enjoying the resource, we're kind of, we're, it's a losing game. So this is really right. important stuff and we need to do whatever we can to get people in the field. Yeah, I mean, you're preaching to the choir here, but let's let's go let's go to a little bit more. What are folks going to see? You know, say for me, I, I, I'm fairly well versed on it because I've been sitting in on some of these meetings with you guys. But um, I've got I'm an, I'm an, I'm a new hunter or I'm a veteran hunter, and I want to go and buy my license to hunt waterfall. What? What new is it? What new steps? What different changes are they going to see? What do they need to know when they go pull the pull the trigger on that license? So starting July 1st, the option to have a three duck limit was was made live on our system. And with that was also a change in the valid period of the migratory bird certification, which our migratory bird certification is the is, is the federal HIP program, which is the hunter information program. And that's where it asks you the certain questions about how many ducks did you shoot, how many doves, and how many coots, snipe, things like that. And then um, that's the framework actually that is used, uh, the sampling frame, when, when the service asks folks to collect ducklings and goose tails and send them to the parts collections uh, wing bees. Sure. Uh, so th that's, what the, that's what our migratory bird certification is. And in the past, that has run, you know, you could start purchasing that the 15th of December, and then it ran through, I believe, the end of January. Um, uh, and now it runs from July 1 to June 30th every year. So if you purchased a migratory bird certification last winter or this spring, you can call the licensing office and have them switch to the three duck option. Um, and that's just going to be from for this year because we had to kind of jump off the carousel of, of right. a licensing system um, to make it work. But when you go to get your migratory bird certification, it's going to say, uh, it's going to give you an option, traditional or three duck. And you choose one of those options, you are bound to that choice for the, for the entire duck season. Uh, you can't then, you can't choose between days or between weeks or go back and change during the season. Um, but you can change between years. This experiment is going to run for four years. And let's say you chose a three duck option this year, and you, at the end of it, you feel pretty good about your duck ID. You think you've you you kind of graduated into the traditional limit. If you want to, you can do that the next year. You can also go the other way. You can say, you know what, I I really don't care if I shoot, I don't care if I shoot six ducks anymore. I just want to go out and shoot three ducks and have a good time. You can do that as well. That's all going to be part of this analysis is measuring the churn rate. Um, sure. But that's really the only difference when you buy a license is you're going to make a choice at the front end. And, and then, you know, that's it. If you do choose the three duck option, we are actually get, mailing folks out a harvest diary and wing envelopes. And it, it's kind of a really neat uh, citizen science opportunity where you, if, if you choose, you can, you can help the process by filling out the diary of what you shot and what day you shot it, how many, um, and then send in the, the wings to us, which we will uh, age and sex and ID, and then be able to com directly compare um, to the, Kind of the worst case scenario that we that we tried to extrapolate off the former parts collection and make sure that we're not having an, any kind of undue impact. Um, that was one of the stipulations of this experiment is that we would monitor harvest. So that's how we're sure. monitoring the harvest of those participants. So so basically, it's it's at that point when they go to get the migratory bird certificate, the state stamp, if you will, yep. like some people call it. Yep. It's going to give you that option. 
it's option one is the three doc, right? And option two is the traditional, correct? It's it's opposite, but yeah, it's, it's oh. number one is traditional and number two is three duck. But yeah, right. but yeah, that's the choice. Yep. Okay. And then once you pick it, you're you're good for the year. You can't change back and forth. Correct. Um, it says it right on your license. It'll say TRAD or three ducks, like a three DU or something like that right. on it. So that law enforcement will be able to tell what, what you have. Right. So there's there's little change there. And, and for veteran duck hunters, um, they still have their opportunity. They can go out and shoot their six ducks, uh, yep. gender and, and species specific. You know, everybody, we write that release five mallards can be no more than whatever. But so yep. the traditional duck hunters, the people who are who are, um, you know, diehard like you, um, still no change except for let's talk about. So now you and I and uh, our two kids go out and I've got a traditional license. You have a traditional license. Our two kids have the three duck licenses. We have any issues there with people hunting and crossing and mixing and, and nope. being in the same party? No, they're, 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 that's actually, you know, that's the point. That's what I really want to encourage that kind of situation, right. to be honest. Um, you know, th th there, there's, there certainly was, was questions from the service about, you know, bag swapping and things like that, if you're sure. in the blind. But frankly, that happens now. Right. You know, there's that. really no difference in, in that uh, issue. It's just that it's just a, you, people have different limits in the blind. Um, but that kind of thing happens now. If you, you know, if you're in the blind, and somebody shoots an extra pintail, um, likely that's going to be given to the next person. So, I mean, that's just how, that's the nature of the beast. Um, yeah. and it's, but th this experiment should not um, exacerbate that issue. And I know in, in talking to, and I know you did your, did your homework with our, with our COs and, and our law staff and stuff. Then I was talking to a few of them. We were at uh, Dakota Fest last week in Mitchell. And, and I said, what do you, you know, what do you see in this? And, you know, you guys are down, down on the river, down in the southeast part of the, on the Missouri River, southeast part of the state, you know, do you see any worry about that? And, and frankly, he went, I hope I check a hundred of those kids, or I hope I check a hundred of those licenses, you know, because that's, that's the point, right? Yep. So. Absolutely. And, and I just went, okay, if you guys aren't worried about it, then, and if you're all for it, I, I was anyway. So, you know, let's, let's press on. The nice That's thing not, about this is oh, that I've been talking about this for so long <laughs> right? with folks that, that a lot of folks have, have seen this coming and we've had a chance to talk about it with a lot of law enforcement um, folks and, and over the years, honestly, I've been, I've been talking about this for at least five or six years at regional meetings and things. So, right. So let's, let's talk about goals and success. What does success look like? Do we have a specific number? I mean, you know, in a year like this where maybe we're getting some drought and, and you know, the, the place where I took my daughter uh, south of Pier last year and we waded out in, in what was for her hip deep water, there are bales on that trail right now in that slough. Um, so that's obviously going to affect a little bit of participation, but what in your brain and in, in the framework of this plan between us and Nebraska, what does success look like? Is it specific numbers or are we just looking for initially like any new program i don't quite understand this what's going on and then as soon as my friends find out that i took my daughter out and she got to shoot just three ducks and i kind of was the referee and was keeping it and it was all cool and calm and collected and everybody likes it heck i want my kid to do that now too yeah so what does success look like in your brain so obviously you always want to think about numbers um i i, I don't think either of us either state has a has a number in mind um i think we just need to 
I think we just need to see how it work, how it goes. And the one nice thing is we're going to be using neighboring states for controls on trends. Right. So we're going to use, you know, let's say Minnesota, North Dakota, and uh, Iowa, let's say. And we'll be able to see, let, let's say with this drought, maybe there's a 10 to 20% reduction in license sales anyway or something. Mm-hmm. We'll be able to control for that and say, well, you know, there was a reduction anyway. You can't say there was an increase, but perhaps it didn't de- decrease as much. Um, but we're certainly keeping track of all these folks. Um, and, and we're going to be able to also survey these the, the individuals that choose this and see what, what their satisfaction was. That's another part of this, too, is just the human dimensions. If they were happy with this and it didn't cause us a whole lot of headache, I, I don't see why that wouldn't be a success with even a handful of people. Right. <laughs> um, but um, so we were planning on um, we have enough materials, at least initially for 500 participants. Um, and we, with the ability to get more, and I, it wouldn't surprise me with the rate that we're going right now is if we bumped up against that 500, um, before the season started, I, I don't know that for a fact, but with, I, I think it's pretty likely. Right. And, you know, I know you're a, you're a numbers guy. Um, it, that was one of the things, you know, when, when I came to work here, being a more of the creative side and the messaging side and let's go forward. And, and you were one of the first guys to just look at me and go, okay, two things you got to evaluate. And zero is also an important number when it comes to stuff that we do. I'll never forget that. Like, I think we were up at the little Moreau or something and somebody said something about zero and I rolled my eyes and you went zero's a, you know, a significant number, you know? Um, but talk about, so so say I take my daughter and I'm buying her the three duck license. I haven't yet, but she's going to do it for sure. Talk about the the input or the information that you that we want to get from that hunter um, yeah. and that importance. I mean, what are they going to have to do? Are, are we cutting off wings? Are we are we sending in duck bills? You know, I know the answer to that, but talk about that and how how that shapes this going forward. Yeah, so part of the evaluation, uh, like I mentioned, is we're going to be sending out a diary. So it's going to be a diary. Um, and you'll be able to say, you know, how many ducks you shot on September 25th, you know, right. uh, and then you don't need to tell us what kind of ducks, just how many you shot. And then I believe we have the county, you know, the county you shot it or something sure. like that. Um, and you would log that for all of your duck hunts and at the end of the season, mail that to us. And then with that, we, we were asking folks to to cut off the duck wings and put them in an envelope and, and kind of keep those together and then mail those off to us. Um, and then it, it actually is exactly the same as the federal parts collection survey um, that I go to, to help um, process every, every spring at the wing bee in Kansas, where there's thousands and tens of thousands of, of ducklings. And we're going to be able to compare a, a, the duck hunters bags that choose the three duck option from a duck hunters bag that nor that sends its parts in under the normal parts collection survey sure. and see if there's any real difference um, between those two. Uh, so it's like I said, it's a super important, um, exciting kind of citizen science opportunity. It's kind of like kind of like duck banding. You know, you're, you you shoot a duck, a banded right. bird, you report that, and it, it goes into some really important um, data analysis. It's the same exact thing. We're just it's just a different angle on it. We're asking people to keep track of what they shot and mail us their duck wings. Sure. You know, you guys always talk about the duck bee and I always laugh and think it's more like like a spelling bee kind of thing. I would I would even not being a science scientist, I think that would just be fascinating because you're in a room with a bunch of guys like you and you got tens and thousands of duck wings and you're identifying them and and 
it's pretty it's pretty cool and i always like the first time you guys brought that up i looked at you i'm like a duck bee like you're just you know to, so to explain it and have have it all go you know like i've seen like bits and parts i've always thought that that would be cool to go and just talk to some of you and your counterparts and, and kind of watch what's going on and, and film it and, and really show people like a lot goes into this and you know even even when you get your migratory bird certificate like I went through a stage probably of 10, 15 years where I'm like, oh, God, Rocco wants to know how many coots I shot. Are you kidding me? You know, no, I didn't have enough time to hunt doves this year. Click, angry, zero, 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 you know. Yep. Um, but that that information goes into so much and in allowing us to try something like this, because if you don't have those numbers, you don't get to do this. Absolutely. Uh, if, if we wouldn't have had this information on the back end, we would never have been able to, rem we would never have been able to, to, I'll get permission from the Fish and Wildlife Service to do this. Right. Um, and as far as the wing bee, Chris, you know, that's, there's a story to be told. You should, you should seriously come down and do it. <laughs> I, I, I think I'll just go. I'll just, you pick me up. I'll, I'll, I'll get to Sioux Falls. You pick me up on the way down. I'll just look, put my auto office out and, and we'll go. I think, I think it'd be cool because it's, I've seen bits and parts of that story, but I, I'd like to sit down with some of these, it, more of a people thing and go how did you get experience in this how long you've been doing it you know this is my 80th or 50th wing bee you know and um just that people driven part of it but that those numbers are so important even the zero is important so you know our our, our very own mark robijohn is an actually a federal wing bee checker which is a which is an extremely important role within the flyway um he's an arbitrator basically so if somebody doesn't know what they're he checks every wing that comes across his table he's double checking um so and he, so yeah, he, it's a, it's a, it's a big commitment, a big responsibility. He, he, he probably gets sad because I think he's part duck. So he's real <laughs> like, yeah, oh, this was my cousin, you know, this blue bill, this spoon bill was my cousin. I mean, there's nobody in the world more ducky than him right now. So, Agreed. um, so let's talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts. So I know exactly, you know, we know what possession limits and stuff are. So, you know, what about a three duck possession limit versus a regular possession limit on the traditional licenses? Is it the same? So it's, 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 it's still three times a daily bag. So for, for a normal traditional, it's, it's be um, 18. 18. <laughs> and right. for, for a three duck, it's nine. So sure. um, it, it, the, it's a different number, but it's the same, um, the same idea. You've got three times daily bag. And same cost? License is the same, same cost. cost. It, so everything is exactly the same. And that's by design so that the only difference in this evaluation is the bag limit. Um, you know, the, the season dates, the, the zones, uh, the daily bag, the cost, I mean, I'm sorry, sorry, not daily bag, the cost, uh, they're all identical. Uh, so sure. it, it's the only difference is what you choose for a daily bag option. And it doesn't carry over, doesn't have any effect. If, if uh, I buy uh, my daughter, the three duck, we can still go out and hunt geese and she can have a goose limit, right? This is just for ducks, right? Just for ducks. Exactly. Yep. The only other thing I guess I would mention is that for the bonus blueing teal yeah. for the first 16 days of the season, um, the only people that can, that can partake in that are the, the traditional uh, license holders, not the three duck license holders. So you can certainly go shoot three blue wings, um, sure. but you, but you can't have an extra two blue wings for the first 16 days. Sure. Um, you know, for me, Rocco, and I'm going to tie this in and you're going to look at me strangely, um, but for this isn't just for kids, right? This is for new, inexperienced hunters. And I'll tie this back to two years ago, 
my uh, wife and daughter went uh, with Buddy Shiner and Jason Burt and some of our peer people who do the Tuesday Fly Tires Club. And they tied me a big box of flies for fly fishing. I don't fly fish. I have an ancient fly rod that my grandpa had when he was young. And, and I think the only time I had ever tried it was just out fart ground, like casting a, like a topwater for bass and bluegills. Well, because of those flies, I went and bought a fly rod and Charlie had a fly rod and we, we, okay, we're going to go do this. And, and for me to teach Charlie how to fly fish, I went to Buddy Siner and went, go teach Charlie how to fly fish. Yep. Even though I didn't know how to do it, because as an adult, it's hard, especially in outdoor situations, it's hard to go to somebody who's your peer yep. and say, I don't know how to do this. Teach me. Yep. Um, because I'm 48 years old. How You should know how to do that already, right? Swallow your pride and go and take a class and learn how to do it or go meet one of your friends and learn how to shoot a bow correctly. I have a, I have a compound bow that I've killed two turkeys with and every time I shoot it, it takes a nick out of my arm because I never learned how to shoot a bow right. Yep. Um, I never learned how to fly fish or cast a fly line until Charlie learned from Buddy Siner and then I watched Charlie do it and kind of figured it out. Yep. Um, so for me, like, while this is great for, you know, my situation, your situation with kids, there's a whole section of folks out there who identify themselves as a hunter. And like you said, whether it's a deer hunter or a, a pheasant hunter or a heck, a, a small game hunter, you know, rabbits or turkeys even, you know, that have that, you know, and, and now you're an adult, so you surely don't want to get a ticket. And have your name in there because you shot too many hen pintails or too many bluebills and you had no idea the whole time that it you were doing it wrong yep. so for me like if we can reach out to those folks and get some of those folks engaged that's an easy sell because they're already hunters um they're not facing swim team and tennis and fast pitch softball like my daughter is this fall and they're not facing you know i there's no other time and i don't have a, a built-in you know maybe a built-in group of kids that I that that hunt so I can hunt with them. These are folks that are already hunters and probably already have a few people that they go with. Yep. And so now I don't have to go sit in a blind with Grovajon and have a duck zing by and, and shoot it. And he's looking at me laughing because I didn't know what it was and it was a spoonbill, you know? Yep. Yep. Um so I, I, I hope we can find a way and I've been crashing my brain, brother, um, to really get this out to folks who, and they're probably not diehard hunters, but they like to go pheasant hunting. They like to pick up a gun and go with their buddies and shoot a few birds on a weekend and, and on opening weekend, and then maybe go out once or twice more. But this opportunity is, is going past them because one, they don't maybe don't have the knowledge for sure. And two, they don't want to reach out. They're like me. They don't want to reach out and go, Hey, I don't know the difference between a spoonbill and a blue bill. Mm -hmm. And now with this, Oh, I can go out shoot three ducks, which is a limit, right? So your hunter satisfaction goes up. Hey, I shot a limit of ducks today. Yeah. And you can go and then maybe go home and take your little green central flyways book, you know, that we all carried in our pockets or our bags or our trucks and look and go, oh, that's a Gadwell. And then look at it again and go, mm, yeah, I think it is. And then maybe then on the backhand, go to one of your buddies and go, what do you think? Is this, you know, show them a picture or whatever. But knowing you were legal and not, Yep. Accidentally breaking the law. No, absolutely. And, and just as a note, we are sending every single person that gets a, a three duck license. We're sending them a central flyway duck ID booklet in the mail um, along with all with their other information. So 
Um, it's not that we're saying the duck ID isn't important because it is, but but it's sure. also equally, if not more important, to get people in the field right. um, and care and care about these things and be advocates for waterfowl and, and migratory bird and wetland resources. Right, and, and I think you know. Also, we talk about mentorship a lot, and this whole thing just screams mentorship to me. While I want and I hope we can get some of these folks who are who are not quote unquote youth to go out and do that um, as as dedicated hunters and, and waterfowlers and stuff, I think it's up to a lot of us to take that opportunity too. And whether it's a kid or a new hunter to get them into, you know, these situations where you can go do this and say, you know, I'll take you out a few times. And if you really like it, start coming along. And then next year you got a little more confidence or two years down the road, you get a little more confidence. And now you can have this traditional license because you can at least have a pretty good idea of, you know, ducks on the wing and then, you know, use that as a learning tool. And, and uh, you know, it, it's that that mentorship role cannot be under or oversold enough, it, because to me, this is this is exactly where we should be going or where we need to be going um, if we want people to care about wild places and wild things. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree more. And, and that's one of the main for me, it's one of the main focuses of this is 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 kind of taking the, some of the pressure or the concern off taking somebody, you know, new hunting. Um, yeah, it just it just takes it makes it a lot less, a lot less hectic and a lot more fun, I think. Right. So this this is an experiment. What are we um, was the framework on this four years? It's a yep, the framework for for the experience four years. And at that time, we're going to evaluate it, which we'll be evaluating the entire time. But we'll write a report. Um, to the Fish and Wildlife Service. And then at that point, the SRC with Fish and Wildlife Service will make a determination whether this can go operational. And, and then that would be, you know, an annual regulation at that point. And then at that point as well, other states would be allowed to most likely evaluate their way into this. Kind of like, sure. um, like how, how teal seasons work, where you have to have an evaluation to, to kind of jump into the season. Right. Um, that's what I would foresee. Um, and there maybe there's states where this wouldn't work, um, but you know where some high harvest states with, um, you know, like Texas for example, you shoot a lot of a lot of uh, redheads and canvasbacks and pintails on the coast, and the avid hunters may very well choose that. Um, sure. But they may but they may find that it's not a it, it, in the end it doesn't matter biologically. So it's it's just sure. gonna be one of those things that I think each state's gonna have its own kind of process to to either either choose this or not in the future. Sure. Okay, I always do this. What did I miss? I'm not smart enough to get it all. What did I miss? What, what? I think I think you hit it really well, Chris. Um, wow, there's the first yeah. one. I think I've done like 30 <laughs> of these, and I always miss something. No, I think I think it went well. So, but I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, it's a change. But if you don't want it, it's not going to affect you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if there's no impact, if you if you are an avid duck hunter and and you want to have the maximum harvest opportunity. That's the beauty of this experiment is there's two options and you, it doesn't have to affect you at all. Right. And, and get out there and take new folks. And it, if it makes it easier, because it, I, I was shocked that I misidentified that duck, but again, I hadn't hunted and hunted ducks in probably five or six years. And, and once I picked it up and looked at it a second time, all of a sudden I went, Whoa, Charlie, we gotta, we gotta really pay attention. Cause we were in a spot where there was lots of pintails buzzing around. And they're all and, brown. Yeah. That time of year. I mean, they're right. all brown. Even the drakes are brown. I mean, right. Uh, you know, so it, it, it's for me, I, I was, I was like, yep, next year she's going to, she's going to do this. And then we're going to take a little bit more time on 
you know, right at that moment, taking a good look at that duck and explaining to her, you know, okay, this is, this is what you look like. And on the way home that hunt, she was looking at the book and she's like, I still can't tell you, you know, she goes to me, it's a widgeon. I'm like, oh, it's not a widgeon, you know? So it, it's good stuff. And, and I, I think you're right. It's sort of a paradigm shift, but it doesn't have to be like this earth shattering thing, right? It's, it's a self-controlled self, self-prescribed medication, I guess. If you want to do it, great. We encourage you to, if it gets you in and, uh, you know, gets you into hunting or back into hunting waterfall. Awesome. If not go out and, and, and do what you've been doing for the last 40 years. You know, the, the other part of this, Chris, is that what, what we've kind of lost, I think, over the last 20 years is, is more of the casual duck hunter. Like, kind of like what you said, the guy that's going to go out a couple times before pheasant season. Um, right. And and, we, and we've lost that. And, and so, I, I mean, I think with a, a lot of the folks that choose this option, they're probably not going to be out there 20 times a year duck hunting. Right. And that's okay. You know, they're, they're, they're going to go out and they're going to have a good time once or twice or three times. And it's like, it'll probably be early season. Right. Um, they're going to go out and shoot some ducks. They're going to, they're going to buy their, their license. They're going to support conservation. Um, but I don't think, but if you think about it from another way, they're not going to be like an undue burden on the resource either. So right. they're not going to be out there crowd crowding the world with, with duck hunters because they're, they're not going to be likely your diehard duck hunter. And that's right. okay. There's nothing wrong right. with that. Yeah. You could shoot ducks on a bluebird day and be quite happy. You know, yeah. it doesn't have to be uh, middle of winter and the, the green heads are moving through and it's cold and miserable. And, and, uh, yeah, these are, you're right. These are probably the more casual folks. First few weeks of the season, the youth season, yeah. um, some of that stuff. And, and, and that's when, frankly, that's when it's the hardest because they're brown ducks, you know, so good stuff. Well, thanks, man. Keep up, uh, keep up the good work. And uh, I'm sure folks will be uh, hearing any, any of the uh, emails and stuff that you get from game fishing parks usually come from me and this will be top of the line communication the next few weeks so people are going to get sick of it but uh we're uh we're trying to make sure that everybody knows what's going on and that this option's there so yeah no i i hope i do get a bunch i really hope i get a bunch of calls and emails that'd be awesome awesome well thanks man keep up the good Thank work you very much chris rock around senior waterfowl biologist for south dakota game fishing parks